0: This is Coms Day Live. I'm Graham Lynch. Welcome to the show, our last for 2022. And as a result, it's a pretty jam-packed edition this week. Uh, We'll be talking with Sultan Lotsteiner from Amdocs about what's happening in enterprise telecoms, especially network automation, and also Rene Bauker from Telco Together on the occasion of a very special anniversary for them. But first, we're going to talk about what's happening at Focus. It's been a pretty big year for them. And today, we're catching up with Andrew Wildblood. He's the Chief Executive of Enterprise and Government at Focus. Welcome to the show, Andrew.
1: Thank you, Graham. Good to be here.
0: Okay, now let's, let's get into it. Um, as I say, it's been a big year for Focus, but there's been two things that have really stood out for me. Um, your partnership with Starlink, and also you're getting into private LTE. So what's the strategy behind that, and is there a connection between the two?
1: Yeah, thanks, Graham. Uh, Yeah, the the partnership with Starlink is a a good one. And uh, and this year, I had the opportunity to go over to the US and actually go to their rocket factory. And it brings to light, really, what what they're doing, you know, to give ubiquity of communications to the world uh, in a low-Earth orbit way. Uh, And obviously, we wanted to take advantage of of that relationship and offer it to our enterprise customers. Uh, Starlink don't do this normally. Uh, Normally, your only way of doing that is to buy it through a credit card in a consumer way. But we've got one of the first agreements um, around the world to be an enterprise seller of Starlink. And of course, what it does for us is it provides a wide area network fiber type service to geographies and regions that are hard to get to by fiber or uneconomic. So it extends our network reach in a way we've never done before across the whole of Australia. No geography, no region um, doesn't get served. So that's fantastic. And then you think about private LTE. Um, A lot of our Revenues and opportunities come in in the form of mining oil and gas by virtue of where our network assets are in the north and the northwest. But not only that, universities, education, campus-based manufacturing, all of them are looking at how they can create private mobile networks uh, to run IoT, to run operations, to get to automation. And we see it as the combination of both. So when we think about, for example, a mine in the northwest of Australia, then it's a value chain of communications that you require to enable them to deliver the, the service that they need to get to automation, for safety, for exploration. So Starlink provides coverage in dark spots of the network. It could be a whole road where there's no coverage and that provides the, the, the connectivity. And then private LTE gives you connectivity beyond the mine gate. Once you've got the fibre there, then you need to connect the devices at the mine gate. So there's an intersection. And then the final part, the trilogy as I'd call it, would be edge computing. And that's uh, that's that's coming as well. So when you look at that, you can now solve for many of the communication issues or challenges that have happened in remote and regional communities in Australia.
0: Okay. Now, um, Starlink specifically, what's the significance and I guess the implications of Starlink being available through a major telco in Australia for the first time?
1: I think the difference really is from a consumer level, you know, the opportunities you go in with your own credit card, you pay there's no guaranteed service level in terms of service desk. So you, you, you know, best endeavours. What we've done is we've brought the best of a telco assurance and delivery model, an installation model, and all of the security layers, and put that part of a package, of a, if you like, a, a managed Starlink service for an enterprise grade. We've interfaced to Starlink's service and assurance, and we have got the logistics right for the delivery of of Starlink services. So we have a number of thousands of of terminals that we have in storage that we can then send anywhere, install anywhere, deliver and assure across a network. So it really brings it as almost as an extension of our wide area network offering.
0: Okay. Um, But in the long term, I'm I'm guessing Starlink's not exclusive, um, that it will be available through other telcos who may seek to replicate some of those uh, benefits that you just described there. Why would I remain with focus as as my uh, source of styling?
1: Uh, Clearly, we've got a first mover advantage and we're going to move quickly on that. But at the end of the day, um, your whole service and your whole offering is what will will keep a customer and what will entice a customer. So complementing your fiber assets, complementing your service, complementing the people that you've got and complementing your partner ecosystem that solves many of the challenges that our customers have. So it's just one part of an overall offering and our overall offering as a challenger in the market has to stand up. And we're doing very, very well at that.
0: Okay, um, changing tack. Um, of course, one of the, the mainstay businesses for Focus is its National Fibre Backbone Network. Um, so I wanted to talk a bit about that. And, and as a start, starting point, since we're getting into um, uh, disaster season you know, in, in the Australian summer, you know, we've obviously had a lot of issues over the past couple of years with floods and fires and, and, and so on. As these events occur more frequently, um, how has that I guess changed the way focus approaches the provision of services over its fiber network?
1: yeah so when you when you think about that I mean the the builds that we're doing up in the up in the Pilbara uh, in on the horizon uh, route which is 2,000 kilometer cable from uh, Geraldton up to Port Headland and then our Singapore cable where we're going from Port Headland across to our ASC which is a thousand kilometer submarine cable that completes, the loop of our network in the north and the northwest that provides diversity of routing traffic in and out of the north and west of Australia and all of that helps in cyclone season, for example, if a cable is cut or if there's a major flood up on the up in Western Australia, cables get washed out. We've now got diverse routes, so diversity is key. Uh, being able to provision your network to create that diversity, but you need to complement that really with with other services. So when we think about Starlink, it's another good example that quickly can configure for emergency services connectivity uh, to vehicles or connectivity into a fire zone or a flood zone. Secondly to that, we've actually been doing some interesting work with a partner of ours, Challenge Networks, a private LTE company, and we've started to test um, providing drone technology with LTE tethered to power, connected to Starlink, where we could put a private LTE into a remote environment that could sit on a drone Literally for days, so you're starting to be able to provide um, networks across areas that are difficult to get to with fixed infrastructure, and using the best of our engineering to thread it together and allow emergency services to be able to to deal with the inevitability of Australia, which is flood and flood and uh, and um, and fire.
0: Okay, now now focus is um, investing quite a lot in new fibre networks right now. Um, one of the most notable ones is the Project Horizon cable uh, through the Pilbara in Western Australia. So tell me about what's happening with that cable and what impact that you think it'll have on the market.
1: Yeah, that, that cable has been long long in the making. Um, you know, we've been thinking about this for the best part of a decade, actually, and now we've finally got agreement to go ahead with it. We're mobilizing crews and we'll start literally digging um, earth uh, around about February time next year. It'll take us around about 18 months to build. It's a complicated build in the most um, remote part of Australia, uh, and it will be an 800-kilometre build alongside some partner fibre networks we've got from the north and from the south that completes the loop. Um, So that will give us, uh, ultimately, we're going to get to 400 gig capacity waves on that network and across our network, which is a massive lift from traditional 10 gig waves today. But importantly... When that gets built uh, we then start to we build our cable across to the asc cable and that then connects darwin internationally for the first time and of course darwin is is a progressive uh progressive council if you want or state or territory in which they're looking at how they can bring data centers into the north they've already offered up two parcels of land for two data centers to build data centers there safe haven for data uh, away from southeast asia and into the north of australia clearly it's a big defence heartland there in the north of Australia. So you've got defence plays, you've got mining oil and gas plays, you've got government plays in terms of diversity, and um, and you've got really exciting projects in 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 the north of uh, Northern Territory, in North Australia. Think about the Sun Cable system. That's a pretty aggressive two thousand kilometre build of energy renewables been going from Tennant Creek all the way up to Darwin, and then across on a cable to Singapore to enable Singapore to then get new energy, energy supply that it's never had before. So great infrastructure projects, all of it requires communications and, and these networks that we're building just uh, enable enable these new investments and new revenue streams and opportunities for productivity for the north and northwest of Australia.
0: Okay, and one of those other cables is the so-called HighClear cable. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that for those listeners who haven't read about it?
1: Yeah, the High Clear cable... Um, really, it, it, it goes from Port Hedland across a thousand kilometres submarine c- cable uh, to our ASC, our Singapore cable, which we built uh, around about, got, got commissioned about five years ago. And we had the foresight on that to put branching units because we knew that would be demand for gas platforms. So this goes through the Scarborough gas platform. So it picks up a couple of the key gas investments that are going on and enables for um Two of the the largest global gas players to get to automation on their gas platforms. So, the benefit of it of it goes across. It connects to the gas platforms, but equally it provides that diverse routes uh, in and out of the northwest west of Australia, and it also prevents uh, it provides diversity down from Port Hedland on a sea bound route down to Perth. So, in the event that there's a, a cut somewhere in the mainland, you know the, these miners who are who are um, driving for full automation, still get consistent, quality, high-capacity networks. You know, In addition, it also provides direct routes out of the Pilbara and Perth to the key hyperscale data centre markets of, of Singapore, where many of the operators, it's quicker to get to Singapore now than it is to go down to Perth or across to Melbourne and Sydney where hyperscale data centres and compute power is. So it's a real game-changer for us. It's a $100 million investment, 1,000 kilometre, Submarine cable, and it, and it completes what we call the final part of our, our puzzle, which is Darwin, Jakarta, Singapore cable. Quite a mouthful, but it's a it's a 500 million dollar investment of systems interconnecting cables between Darwin, Port Hedland, Perth, Christmas Island, Jakarta, and Singapore. So um, when we think about Australia, it's facing an energy crisis. You know, ultimately we're enabling new energy supplies with with this cable that's been built. Uh, for the next generation of of gas investments in in the northwest of Australia.
0: Well, that's terrific stuff. Thank you so much for coming into the studio and uh, sharing the latest news from Focus with us, Andrew.
1: No problem at all, Graham. and uh, I wish all of the listeners a, a happy holiday season.
0: Okay, moving on to our next interview today. We're joined by Sultan Loschdeiner, who's the Vice President, Customer Business Executive for the ANZ region for Amdocs. Now, it's been a long, long time since I've spoken to anyone from Amdocs, so it's an absolute pleasure to have you here, Sultan. Hi, Graham.
2: It's great to be here with you again.
0: Many of our listeners might well know you from your days at Nokia. You were there for between 1999 to 2020, and you ended up as the... VP and market unit head for Oceania, including Australia, so um, a, a great innings well played at Nokia. But now you're with Amdocs. Can you tell us more about what you're doing at Amdocs and your responsibility there?
2: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Nokia. That was a fantastic part of my career and I spent, yeah, as you said, 21 years there in many, many different countries and many, many different jobs. It was a fantastic journey. And, uh, and, and as you said, the last step of that journey was in, in Australia as a vice president of, uh, uh, of Nokia for the region. My role is... Generally, very similar to what I used to do at Nokia. So I'm looking after the region, and uh, my mission here is to to develop the business of, of MDox. So we have fantastic opportunities. We have a great uh, deal momentum, uh, and and if I may just say a couple of words about MDox, because many people may not know MDox as well as uh, as I would like them to know. Uh, uh, MDox is a a large multinational company, over 31,000 employees around the world. We are present in more than 90 countries. We have over 300 customers and uh, we have uh, approximately 150 ecosystems where we are developing our solutions uh, all around the world. But more importantly, our local presence is, is also quite substantial. So we have Two offices in New Zealand, uh, two offices in Sydney, as well as two offices in Melbourne. Not even counting the, the offices that, uh, not even counting our presence at the customers' premises. And uh, just uh, just to uh, add uh, one more flavor to the MDocs uh, details, uh, we are dealing with, of course, the telcos, and we are also uh, quite significantly engaging with the finance sector as well as the utilities.
0: Okay, so a key emphasis for Amdocs appears to be helping telcos to monetize enterprise services. So can you describe what Amdocs sees as the opportunity there?
2: Yeah, very good question. Thank you for that. Enterprise is definitely in the middle of our focus. As Gartner described, uh, the enterprise IT spend will be around 4.7 trillion US dollars in 2023. This is a massive investment that is uh, going into the IT sector. But at the same time, the, the telcos are only uh, only have 30 percent of their uh, revenue coming from the uh, from the enterprise sector. We also see that uh, that uh, the the hyperscalers like the Netflix, Uber, Amazon, and and the likes, uh, how they are moving the needle, how they are setting new expectations uh, for the industry. What we strongly believe that that the journey of the uh, of the enterprise related business that is uh, that is served by the telcos has uh, has a lot more that can be uh, a lot more can be done around that one considering they can um, they can uh, do much more on how they are digitizing their services how they are improving their uh, or how they are changing their service offerings how they are uh, how they are uh, creating new uh, new billing and charging opportunities for their customers and then and uh, there are of course many other things as well so these are the the areas where we as are trying to support them and make them uh, make their uh, monetization opportunities more successful
0: okay, so what do enterprise customers actually expect from telcos
2: so as i mentioned before the the enterprise customers has already a new benchmark uh, driven by the uh, by the hyperscalers so when we when we look at the journey of an enterprise customer's uh, we can start uh, with the uh, with the basic expectation that is how they can uh, monitor uh, their consumptions how they can see what they are actually using and how they can actually uh, change their uh, their um, service offerings or service usage so they would like to see that what they are using and they would like to be able to make changes in their services very quickly. But at the same time, they are also interested to have more competitive offerings uh, at the same time. And in order to do more competitive offerings, the the costs needs to come down as well. So more efficiency, more automation needs to be brought into the uh, picture.
0: So, um, so a, a key aspect though is actually delivering the automation, and I guess
2: that's uh, where Amdocs comes in, right? Definitely, automation is a is a, a key element of that one. Besides the customer experience, but I, I get back to that as well. So, in order to to have a more um, flexible, dynamic uh, uh, service, what the uh, what the enterprises are getting, uh, they need to have a very different way of we uh, are approaching them. There is a a strong need for for, uh, transformation, the digital interfaces uh, where uh, where we can connect their requirements straight into the provisioning and orchestration platforms. In order to do that successfully, we need uh, very sophisticated and automated uh, systems that can make sure these changes are implemented in the network in the the shortest uh, possible time. Uh, We can also uh, look at the aspects of uh, service assurance and how we are monitoring the the service quality. And the service quality monitoring and the the proactive or reactive uh, um, remedies of any kind of issues in the network performance will have to be run by more and more automated platforms. And uh, if we are looking at, uh, uh, generally speaking, the automation will be very key to improve the efficiency as well of the entire operations, which leads lower costs and uh, and uh, more competitive uh, competitive offerings.
0: Okay. So what are some of the monetization needs and requirements uh, that you're seeing at Telcos?
2: The, fundamentally, in the past couple of years, we heard a lot about 5G. And uh, and uh, there was a lots of uh, high expectations around how five G can bring uh, more revenues to the operators. So far, I guess uh, I guess we can uh, say that uh, the results are a little bit disappointing. So five G is not more than an additional capacity an additional maybe more efficient uh, data pipe, but we are not giving up on that of course and, and we are in fact working on how we can how we can develop that uh, how we can develop these new opportunities uh, uh, for 5g we have an innovation lab in the us together with uh, t mobile intel microsoft and many other leading companies in the in the it and the tech industry to bring together solutions that are potentially going to bring new revenues I would also mention the fact that there are probably some some clever 16-year-old kids in the garage coming up with some fantastic ideas. But in order to move that idea into a commercial environment, you need to have uh, basically a a service that an operator can run in in the quality and uh, at the service level what uh, the consumers are asking for. So, what MDocs is doing in this environment is bringing this ecosystem together and helping the the new ideas, the new products uh, to be implemented in the operator environment with the uh, with the expectable level of quality through uh, our knowledge of how to do uh, service uh, introduction uh, billing assurance and uh, you know whatever it takes to to get it uh, through but that's 5g uh, there are other opportunities that the operators can can look at and and I would like to call out uh, the media so many uh, many uh, operators see that their their network is maybe a little bit abused by by the the over the top players uh, they are uh, milking the uh, the the revenue and the and the profit while they are just providing the pipe so what we are trying to do here is uh, bringing the uh, bringing the media to the uh, to the operator's environment and uh, helping them to start uh, uh, streaming services if they like It it is not a straightforward thing for an operator. Uh, If you want to have uh, your contracts in place or or a licensing agreement in in place with the studios, this is a this is a a complex and uh, and uh, large uh, work that requires extra resources. If you want to make sure that uh, that your streaming not only have the latest and greatest uh, content, but they have the the right place, the right type of ads inserted. Again, that's a that's a complexity that the operators needs to deal with. Uh, the next point would be around the 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 service assurance and how you can make sure that the streaming service is is in high quality. That would require a, a high level of uh, investment in technology as well as. Again, service assurance type of uh, products. So this is what MDOCS is bringing together and uh, and provide that as a single one-stop shop. Just a uh, just a, a practical example from, uh, in the in the neighborhood. StarHub is one of our customers. So they are getting 20,000 hours of new content every month. And that's something that uh, with, with really minimal interaction required from their side. Uh, another example is uh, Excel Axiata in, in Indonesia. They, we are not only bringing the new content from overseas, Hollywood and so on, but we are also bringing in the local content and we are helping them to integrate it. And all happening without them required to, to make a massive investment.
0: Okay, you mentioned StarHub in Singapore there. Can you tell us a bit more about how Amdocs is working with
2: telcos in Australia and New Zealand? Well, we are dealing with all the major operators in in uh, Australia and New Zealand, and and beyond that, of course, we have uh, uh, three out of the five uh, biggest banks are our customers, and we are making a, a major inroad with the uh, with the utility companies as well, where the where the expectations are getting very similar to to the to the expectations from the telcos as well generally speaking we are talking about the same sort of things what is uh, what uh, what you just asked before they have a strong drive to to monetize, they have a strong drive to to go through their digital transformation. They they want to introduce more content in the uh, in their service offerings, and uh, and many of them are looking at different kind of solutions. How they are bringing the cloud in their uh, how, how how they are utilizing better uh, cloud based uh, service uh, offerings. I guess it's also interesting to mention that uh, that this is, this is a major, major job for them. So it won't happen unless uh, unless there is a strong service engine that helps these products to be, uh, to be brought to the market. Is in from that point of view, is different from many other software providers because we are not only bringing the software, we are also uh, providing the, the services to, uh, to put them in the network. And that is something where, where we feel, that, uh, feel like we are kind of unique compared to them because we can uh, bring the products, the new service offerings in the market with a commitment to the, uh, to the time and cost compared to others where, where the different system integrators are working together with the software providers.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, that's fascinating stuff. Thank you so much for coming in the studio, um, Sultan, to tell us about Amdocs and what you're up to in this part of the world. Hope to catch up with you again soon. Well, moving on, we always like a good anniversary here at Comms Day Live, and it's none other than the 10th anniversary of Tilco Together, um, who have been a fantastic organization in the industry. And I'm I'm absolutely pleased to be joined by Renee Bowker, who's the founder of Tilco Together. Welcome. Hi, Renee. How are you?
3: Thank you, Graham. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm very well, thanks. It's, um, it's just a pleasure to be here. Great, great. Now... Um,
0: first off I've never actually even heard this myself. I want to hear about how you got the idea for Telco together and where the idea came from, and I guess the origin story. So, 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 tell us um, what happened ten years ago that led to its creation.
3: Um, that is a very good question, Graham, um, and it's a it's a beautiful story. Actually, I was working as um, head of product and marketing at uh, M Two Telecom, who um, who then Became focus, um, and uh, it's kind of two two stories at once that kind of combined into creating Telco together. I had a long-standing desire to go and join the not-for-profit sector, um, and was starting to think about doing that, um, and went and uh, handed in my resignation to um, to Vaughan Bowen, who was then CEO of M Two Telecom. Uh, he um, was a little uh, reluctant to accept it and we arranged something whereby I'd go and do a month of volunteering um, to get it out of my system uh, and as long as I stayed another 12 months at M2 Telecom and I went and volunteered in Africa for a month in rural Kenya uh, and had all of the experiences that you hear of quite often where you realize that there's a lot of people doing it really tough and actually are a lot happier with not a lot um, to their name. And it was a real kind of galvanising moment for me that I needed to go and do work in the space of giving back to community. And um, and so I got back from my trip to Kenya and cut my agreed 12 months short, um, much to, to Vaughan's um, annoyance. Uh, but he had actually been on his own journey where he had been um, at a, a group of... Um, an event called the IT Fund for Kids, which was all of the IT industry coming together to raise funds for, um, I think it was Starlight Foundation at the time, and he saw all of these big brand names around the room and thought, you know, we've got this in the telco industry, Um, we've got all these large organisations, but there's no real galvanising kind of force that brings them together around the idea of social good. And so my kind of push to the not-for-profit space and his um, kind of ability to to see that kind of uh, possibility brought us together. And a day after I resigned from M2 Telecom, we had a coffee and started talking about what uh, a foundation across the industry could look like. Um, and in the early days, there was a big um, motivation around... Um, the fundraising piece. So um, the concept that there were 25 million bills being sent out a month uh, across the telco industry, and the idea that being able to add a small donation onto each of those bills could potentially be a massive fundraising effort, um, and that has what um, that is what has become small change, big change, our kind of primary fundraising um, effort, um, and we have some really great partners across um, the industry currently that are working to push uh, small change, big change out to their customers and their staff as a way of fundraising. Um, But I guess it then evolved into, you know, what is the real potential around um, bringing all these telcos together and all of the reach and the um, resource and and the, the knowledge that they have around social good but it was it was really you know born on his journey me on my journey and coming together with this idea that um collectively we should be able to create more social impact than um, if everyone works separately and it's definitely proved to be the case
0: okay you, you mentioned small change big change there um i I'm, I'm guess you are seeing that as one of the highlights of what you've achieved of telco together T- tell me looking across the 10 years what do you see as the high points of, of what you've done there
3: um, well, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro in a very literal sense was one of <laughs> the high points. <laughs> um, and I don't know if you remember, I walked
0: before. into that one, didn't I? I walked into that one. <laughs> <laughs> you totally did.
3: Um, but that was that was amazing. I mean, the first climb that we did of Kilimanjaro as a fundraiser, we raised two hundred and forty thousand dollars, and that was with nineteen people from across the industry. And I don't know if you remember that beautiful photo of um, we had a we took a flag up that had all of the Um, logos of people um, of the organisations that were members and who had funded um, this climb to the top of Kilimanjaro. So that was definitely a high point. But but I think um, uh, watching the evolution of the discussions across the industry um, and the deepening of the understanding of how we can work collectively um, to tackle some pretty tricky uh, social issues, the, the foundation has evolved into being very much around tackling the social issues that come out of us living in an increasingly connected world. And the, um, you know, the industry that we're in is responsible for putting technology into people's hands and for increasing the connectivity in people's lives. And there are so many benefits that come from that, uh, but there are also some challenges. And so seeing, um, you know, we have regular roundtable meetings with a number of large organisations and seeing the genuine um, desire for these organisations to really start tackling this um, is such a, a rewarding um, thing. Also seeing, I really love uh, creating a space for people who are otherwise in quite a, um, you know, quite serious corporate um Uh, roles to be able to have an outlet to give back to the community and the look of satisfaction on people's faces when they realize that they're actually helping change people's lives by the time they're spending talking about how we can better support victims and survivors of domestic and family violence or how we can improve conditions within supply chains to reduce modern slavery risks. And also the work that we do with Small Change, Big Change around building resilience in young Australians, mental health, education programs. Um, The the seeing people kind of come alive when they really understand the impact that they're having is a a real highlight for me as well. It's interesting
0: just to hear what you were saying there because Telco Together has evolved quite a lot over the last 10 years, hasn't it? I mean, When you started off, it had a a more kind of... um, I guess, a fundraising bent in, in some ways. But now you seem to be a lot more focused on generating awareness of issues and, and I, I guess awareness in the ESG space, for want of a better term. Um, mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned um, the, the anti-slavery stuff there, and that, that was something where it struck me. I guess it was a couple of years ago now. It, it struck me, oh, wow, Telco Together really has moved on here Mm. and and is performing a kind of educational role as much as anything Mm. so was it was was it a conscious decision to evolve that way or was it just simply a measure of the times that we're in
3: um i actually i i found a um the original corporate brochure of what telco together was supposed to be for when we were originally pitching to telco members um and it's actually all in there, but what the difference was was, and we always had this idea that we would be fundraising as well as kind of deeper, um, uh, deeper engagement with organisations around social issues. But the thing that we didn't weren't able to predict was what those issues would be, um, because that needed to be driven by members, um, and then also the. Um, the understanding from our members of how that would look was something that needed to evolve over time. So, um, you know, if we, we couldn't have got these particular initiatives that we're um, running with at the moment up and running in the early days because there was a little bit of a... Um, uh you know we were we were building the the rapport across the industry around these conversations and around the understanding of of what we could do together and one of the you know one of the highlights actually that i missed was um and this was very disappointing that unfortunately the accc investigation into premium services put a, a bit of a stall on one of our biggest programs which was text giving so we did have this um initiative where we were bringing the telcos together to unlock premium services premium sms as an ability for consumers to donate really easily Um, and we had a trial that ran over two years all of the telcos changed their billing systems to allow for zero margin on these premium services Um, and and then just as we were about to go live with a a pilot that or the the full program that had 500 charities um, able to Uh, use the facility, the ACCC launched the investigation into premium services and premium services basically got shut down. So that was a few years worth of um, you know educating charities about how to use this fundraising functionality and it was really disappointing that, um, that that happened. However the one thing it did do was really create this aha moment for the telcos that we can work together, we can change our billing systems and Think about how we can bring people and talent and you know look at how we can use um uh you know the marketing functions of our organizations to really tackle some social issues so it was that was a real movement from we're all kind of got our own programs and we're all just going to pursue that and if there's something small in the middle that we can do together then we'll do it to actually these bigger programs are possible and let's see how that evolves and that's where the impact hub Um, which is the umbrella kind of for all of the non-fundraising programs. The Industry Impact Hub um, is the forum where those conversations happen. Um, And that's when we launched the Impact Hub. That's where modern slavery came in, domestic and family violence came in. We're also looking at um, natural disaster response, gender equality um, as potential streams that um, can be picked up uh, as well. Um, but being very much driven by member interest and member engagement of where they see the need and the opportunity for us to, to get involved.
0: Okay, now, um, obviously Vaughan Bowen played an instrumental role in the formation of Telco Together, and, and you've been the, the driving force behind it over that decade. But who, who else um, has been key in support for the success of Telco Together
3: over the years? Well, I mean obviously we couldn't have done it without the members. and you know we were really lucky to find some initial champions um, within some of the um, larger organizations uh, in the early days because you know there were there was in some instances there was was a sense of um, disbelief that we would even try to do something like this. <laughs> and so it really helped to get. Um, you know, uh, even before we had launched, we managed to get uh, Mike Quigley as the chair of our advisory board, and his endorsement at the time was really um, yeah. was really valuable. We also had Bob Mansfield, who um, was uh, a chair of our advisory board uh, at at a time as well. Um, there was uh, a gentleman by the name of Paul Robertson, who is not a telco uh, figure, but he is. Um, he was the founding, one of the executive directors of Macquarie uh, Group and also um, a, a, a just such an amazing and wise gentleman across all of the... He's the chair of St Vincent's Health, um, Social Ventures Australia. He's on all sorts of boards. And he um, took uh, took an interest, I guess, in, in the structure that we were setting up and, you know, setting up a foundation from scratch um, when neither of you really have a not-for-profit background is quite an interesting <laughs> challenge. Um, so having Paul Robertson involved early on was, and his guiding hand um, was actually really important as well. But across all of the, the members, um, so we've got an advisory board where members sit, um, have a representative and sit on that board. And the advisory board members over the years have been absolutely crucial um, to us refining our strategy, to us understanding how to engage the industry, um, what topics are of most interest to the industry. Um, and then we've also got our board of directors who are volunteering their time um, to help. Uh, and that's currently chaired by Michael Stanley, who was previously director of HR at Vodafone, um, now TPG, and he has been a chair of ours for three years um, and has brought such a um, steady hand and a, a wise kind of understanding of what is possible um, with uh, large organisations kind of coming together to um, to tackle some of these issues. So we've been very lucky to um, have some very impressive minds uh, come and join us at the table at Telco Together, and it's definitely a collective effort of um, you know, the people who have been on the board, on the advisory board, the team currently led by Warren Sainsbury is just doing an amazing job of delivering um, services. So, yeah, it's been it's been so much a joint effort. So thanks for raising that question. Okay,
0: so finally,
3: um, where next
0: for the next 10 years, where do you see Chilco Together heading?
3: Well, I think, um, you know, I've talked a bit about the conversation evolving um, and we... As I mentioned before, we definitely see that there's a lot of um, interest in tackling some specific issues through the impact hub. So for instance, natural disasters, gender equality. But I think um, as the understanding of the role of technology in society and um, has evolved within the groups that we talk talk to, there's a real sense that, um, we need to even step up a level in terms of going up even bigger picture of technology now is mobile device is core to your citizenship. You know, COVID really shifted that. Um, people now leave the house with car keys and a mobile phone. That's all you need. You've got your wallet, you've got your Medicare, you've got everything in there. You know, during COVID, you had your, your COVID um, vaccination records. Um, and it just, um, it's it's become such a big um, part of our lives. But we as an industry really do have a responsibility to make sure that there's a net positive effect of that technology being in people's lives. And so really starting to use all of the, um, I guess, frameworks that we've set up through the Industry Impact Hub to tackle some of these smaller, more specific issues. To step up to that next level and say holistically, what are we doing across the industry to make sure um, that, um, yeah, technology is a tool for good, and I think that's that's a very complex uh, conversation. And um, and and I think also just just for anyone that's listening, um, one of the things that we've always done with Telco together is really consider. Uh, each initiative that we're thinking around in light of what's already happening, how can we amplify what is already happening, not duplicate what is already happening, and where is the bit that Telco Together sits where it makes sense for the industry to collaborate in order for something to be more successful. And so that's um, something that we've always, it's part of our DNA in terms of how we operate, um, so there is in all of this world, there's you know so many different pockets that's being done around different organisations. We've worked with Comms Alliance, ACMA, TIO, a bunch of not-for-profit agencies as well, um, and it's all about trying to bring all that together and then see what the um, what the the layer that we can add that really amplifies, makes it easy for for organisations to help in the space. So it's it's more of that, um, but with a bigger picture view on the biggest issue, which is the role of technology in society and how do we make that net positive. Okay, well, that's
0: fantastic, Renee. Um, congratulations on a 10 years innings well played and uh, um, looking forward to seeing what comes in the future for Telco Together. And thank you very much for joining us on Comms Day Live today.
3: And can I also say, Graham, thank you so much for all of your support. It has been uh, a pleasure to be involved in all of your events and you've always been very generous with your time and your support. So a big thanks to you.
0: Thank you, Renee. And that's it for Comms Day Live for this week and for this year. On behalf of everyone at Comms Day, I'd like to wish you a Merry Christmas, a great new year, we'll be back in late January. That's all folks.